Hey, what's good, jazz fans? Welcome to Jabber Jazz, your home for fan-driven, ad-free Utah jazz basketball content from an analytical emphasis. I'm your host, Adam Bushman. You can find me on Twitter at Adam underscore Bushman. And today, we're talking about the recent play of the Utah Jazz and how the tank is on. And uh, we're going to get into how the Jazz have kind of been leaning into uh, the tank and leaning into positioning themselves for a competitive draft position in the upcoming NBA draft. We're also going to get into some of the league factors that are affecting uh, that uh, intent and that strategy to um, be in a competitive position in the draft. And we'll also get to some random news and notes surrounding the Jazz as well. If you like what we're doing, please consider following the podcast by subscribing. Uh, we'd also appreciate a follow on Twitter at Jabber underscore jazz. Uh, we'd love to connect with you there. Uh, leave a review or a comment as well. Let's us know you're out there and helps us grow this, this channel and this platform, bringing more and more Utah Jazz basketball content. Well, without further ado, let's Jabber Jazz. All right, so the tank is on. A recent article from the Salt Lake Tribune, I believe it was Andy Larson, detailed how the Jazz are really leaning into uh, the tank. They're prioritizing the young guys. Uh, even Tony Jones of The Athletic, has, who has been a, a stalwart, saying that the Jazz are planning to win, they're playing their best players. Even he has admitted that the Jazz are refocusing and have... Uh, are prioritizing playing their young players. And so all signs are now starting to point to the Jazz uh, not tanking because a, a recent article that I wrote for SLC Dunk, which was titled No Room or Reason to Tank for the Jazz. And that's still true. I still believe that, that the Jazz kind of leaning into losing in this stretch run can really only take them so far. If you look at the standings, the the best avenue that the Jazz have available to them is that they fall to five. That's that's the worst that could or that's the best case tanking scenario is that you fall to the fifth seed. And likely if you look at how far the Jazz are from the bottom feeders in <laughs> in this draft race, likely the Jazz will only fall to the seventh or eighth seed. So I still believe that, hey, there's really not a bunch of room to tank. We just have a lot of really good players, and we've played so well this season that we can only really fall so far. The good news is that this has been one of the one of the seasons with the most parity across the league that the league that the league has ever seen. So what that means is the middle class is so bunched together here in the in the NBA. There's so many middle class teams and they're all within a stone's throw of each other. So that allowed the Jazz to be competitive and, and really play their best players, try to win, figure out what they had all season. And now here in the stretch run, they can lose some games and still be in a competitive position. But it doesn't really allow you to to tank. Uh, you, there's there's not really an avenue to really tank and get into get into some of the best draft positions uh, in this stretch run. But the upstairs front office and ownership of the Utah Jazz has really blessed the tank. As I as I mentioned, Tony Jones, Andy Larson have really detailed and reported that 
that the rotations and the priority have been centered around the young players as opposed to the veterans where it had and the best players which it has been throughout this entire early season we've also seen that jordan clarkson colin sexton and even laurie markinen have sat some games now they've sat games with injury i totally believe the injuries are legitimate however we've seen and we've seen players be beat up in the past, even Laurie Markkinen, and play through the injury. And I think we're seeing now that the Jazz, any little thing, they're saying, hey, let's sit you down. Let's let's make sure we don't have anything catastrophic happen. And we are prioritizing, prioritizing some of the young guys anyways. So take a seat, really recuperate before you go out and play. And so... I think that is a signal that the Jazz are going to take advantage of any built-in scenario that would allow them to really prioritize some of the the young development and be in a better in a better light to chase that competitive draft position. So we've seen Juan Toscano Anderson, Chris Dunn, Simone Fontecchio, Taylor Horton Tucker, and Johnny Juzang, they've all been getting big run over the last several games. And it's it's really contributing to some losses. Two straight losses to Oklahoma City, uh, a loss against San Antonio. Those are those were games that the Jazz would have been really, really competitive, if not win all three of them earlier in the year. And so for the Jazz to lose those games. Here in this stretch run, it really affords them the possibility of being competitive in their draft positioning. And it's interesting because, as I detailed in that article for Salt, uh, Salt Lake City Dunk, the, there's not really much reason to tank. Even this year, the Jazz came in with a whole host of players, and they said, we need to figure out what we have. We need to play the hand we're dealt. We got all these players, and they kind of just fell in our lap. They were what was available in the Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell trade. So we have all these players. We need to figure out what we have. We need to shake the trees and see what's kind of scalable long-term and what kind of fits in our three-year road to being back to back to uh, championship contention. And so they did so, and, and we found out who who is part of that future and who likely isn't. And now that we've found that out, they're they're kind of leaning into this into this mini tank. But beyond this season, there's even less reason to tank. So next year, the Jazz are in a, a real interesting spot because beginning next year they owe their first round pick to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Next year it's top 10 protected. So you're really not you're really not in in a situation where you want to lose next year. Now you might be saying, "Well, why would we want to win so that we give up our our pick?" Well, the rub there is that the Jazz owe their pick to the Oklahoma City Thunder the very next year as well if it doesn't convey in in the 2024 draft. And if it doesn't convey in the 25 draft, we owe it in the 26 draft. And if it doesn't convey then, then it expires for Oklahoma City. But here's the thing. We want to be good by 2026. And here's the other interesting thing. In 2026 is when we have the swap rights with Minnesota and with Cleveland. So we control three teams draft in the 2026 draft. So we do not want the pick to convey in that season. 
And we have since found out ESPN has been reporting, uh, Jonathan Gavoni, that the 2024 draft next year is one of the weakest drafts that we've seen in two decades. So all signs are pointing, really, that the Jazz need this mini tank to get real upside in the draft and then start really trying to be competitive and hope that a star becomes available to where you can package you know, three to six of our picks, three to seven of our picks, plus some players to really land a star to pair with uh, Larry Markkinen, Walt Walker Kessler, any of our young guys, and, and really start rounding out our next championship contending team. So that's why there's not a lot of reason to lose beyond this season because of that pick we conv- we owe to Oklahoma City and that we definitely do not want to be conveyed when we want to be good because we'll be able to control multiple teams drafts that year so if we look at the jazz and their likely likely chance of getting to that seventh or eighth spot in the draft order uh if you get into that spot basically that affords you uh, an approximately eight percent chance to win the lottery eight percent chance and boom you got the number one overall pick compare that to a 14 percent chance for the top three teams for your san antonio houston and detroit or charlotte that's that's really not a big disadvantage eight percent versus 14 percent not a big disadvantage at all if you look at the cumulative probability for jumping into the top four you have a 32 percent chance of getting into that top four if you're in that seven eight spot compare that to a 52 percent chance to be in the top four if you're one of those top three teams you can see how those top three teams they have better odds but they have they have nowhere near guaranteed odds and so the jazz really were able to have a real competitive year if they do things properly, they could be in pole position to essentially be poised to snag anyone who falls from that top group. You know, say a Sore Thompson, he eventually falls to seven. The Jazz are poised and ready to to take a prospect who's been mocked mocked in the top four or five, and you got him seven. Um, so, someone who is probably ninety ninety five percent of his his brother Amon Thompson. So that's where this could be just absolutely perfect. Ahead of the season, I kind of identified the 4 to 7 position as kind of like the nice balance for hey, you get to you get to lose, but you don't you don't have to mortgage your season. You don't have to put your season out on like a yard sale and just get pennies on the dollar for it in a sense like you get to have like an actual fun competitive season in a way and so that could really that could really seem to happen if the jazz lean into this thing as it appears they are what also kind of happens at the 7-8 spot is even if someone doesn't fall you are in like the prime spot to kind of have your pick of the litter from a real nice tier that features Jairus Walker, Cam Whitmore, Anthony Black, Nick Smith Jr. Uh, there's several others who will fit in that tier over time, but you know even even players who are in the next tier that that you might feel is is 
is the diamond in this in this kind of middle round of of picks you know say a jet howard um or something like that like you're you're you could kind of have your pick of those guys and so this could really be a real nice spot it's also possible that the jazz move up ever so slightly so say amin thompson say that amin thompson who's kind of consensus third overall pick let's say that he falls to five Victor Wembanyama goes one. Scoot Henderson goes two. Um, let's say Brandon Miller. Uh, Detroit has the third overall pick. They really don't want to stack Amon Thompson or Asor Thompson with uh, Jaden Ivey, Cade Cunningham. So they go Brandon Miller. And then all of a sudden, Jairus Walker is going fourth. Okay, And Amon Thompson has now slipped to five. If you're at the seventh pick, you package the seventh pick, you package the Brooklyn pick, that's the end of the first round, and the Los Angeles Lakers 20 set, 2027 pick, and you go from seven to five and select Amon Thompson. That's that's technically possible, but you got to be in enough position there to actually uh, allow that to happen. So if the Jazz really embrace this tank to close, they're putting themselves in position for options, which was the whole point of the offseason. The offseason was all about getting flexibility and opening themselves to options. So by getting getting Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert out the door, they freed up their books, so now they're going to have 50-plus million in cap space next year. Tons of options down that road you also opened yourself up for just a world of trades by having uh, veterans with uh, modest contracts who were playing well when we saw that the jazz were able to parlay that into a future uh, la lakers first round pick yes it's protected i don't believe they ever select that make that selection i think that they uh, kick that in a trade that allows them to get the player they want either in the draft uh, or or via the trade market. So I really th I really think that the Jazz, they have so many options now, and we're going to see that kind of play out, especially if they allow themselves to gain more options by kind of leaning into this tank. All right, so let's talk about some league factors affecting the NBA draft. So first, let's start with the Los Angeles Lakers. They're tied with Utah in the standings uh, after uh, after last night, where the Jazz lost to Oklahoma City Thunder. The Los Angeles Lakers and the Utah Jazz now tied in the standings, uh, and this is big because the Los Angeles Lakers have the third softest remaining schedule, and so that that really could allow them to to sneak up past us even if we get some of our better players back and playing but the los angeles lakers have been dwindling at the bottom of the western conference for a good while now and we really need them to surge past the utah jazz um especially because you know that would uh that would kind of allow uh the other teams potentially like the minnesota timberwolves should the lakers catch the timberwolves that could also be a reason where uh, the Timberwolves pick, which the Jazz own, gets just slightly better. So they're 28th in re remaining uh, strength of schedule, meaning that's the third softest remaining strength of schedule. They're 4-2 and two since the trade deadline, 
but that LeBron injury is lingering. So that's one to watch. Can the Lakers sustain this success um, to where they're really benefiting from that soft strength of schedule and can surge past us and hopefully overtake the, the Timberwolves and, uh, and some others that would really help out the Jazz draft position? The Oklahoma City Thunder. So we just lost two straight to them. Uh, which is kind of a big deal as we try to chase that competitive positioning. Um, we have one more matchup with Oklahoma City Thunder in the final week, and uh, they also don't have too hard of a hard of a schedule remaining. They have uh, several games against some of those bottom feeders. Um, they have also they have also been taking advantage of an injury to Shea Gilgis Alexander. However, uh, you, you can kind of see that even if they sit him. They just have a wealth of young, competent talent that that they're just good, and 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 we've seen that the last two games that that they that they could just beat us, um, even without Shea. So it it kind of makes me wish that we would have we would have eked out a loss against Oklahoma City Thunder as we came out of the All Star break. Uh, we narrowly won that one against the Thunder, but uh, but it's okay. Now, let's go to Memphis. Memphis, The Memphis Grizzlies are kind of unraveling at the seams. Um, you have Brandon Clark's injury that's sending him out for the year. You have the Steven Adams injury that's kept him out of multiple games. You have now have a, uh, a Brooks, Dylan Brooks, suspension because he's received too many technicals this season. And now John Morant is seeing a minimum two-game suspension that could stretch uh, indefinitely uh, because of a lot of his off-court actions. So now you're seeing this Memphis team really, really kind of torn apart in what's supposed to be the stretch run. Sacramento Kings are right on their heels. And they have a schedule where they play the Lakers once more. They play Dallas three times, the Clippers twice, Orlando, Chicago, Portland, New Orleans, and Oklahoma City all once. Basically, what this could mean is that the Memphis Grizzlies get some extra losses that keep the good teams, the Lakers, Dallas, the Clippers, keep those teams firmly ahead of us. But we could also see some of those bad teams in there, OKC, New Orleans, Portland, Chicago. They actually pick up an extra win uh, just because Memphis is kind of spiraling. So that's one to, to really keep an eye on because uh, it, it could be a big deal for the Jazz to uh, gain a, a, an additional game on some of these teams that are ahead of them in the tank standings. Uh, by virtue of Memphis kind of falling apart here towards the the stretch run. Also, Portland is just kind of a Jekyll and Hyde team. I mean, Damian Lillard is putting up insane, insane numbers, and the team just can barely win. I mean, they they snuck out a win last night, but but then you know they'll just go two straight games where they put up a dud, even though Lillard is is going bonkers. Uh, they're ninth in remaining strength of schedule, so they do not have a super friendly uh, schedule going forward. Um, so I don't know if we can catch Portland, and that's one of the primary reasons why you you likely can't get to fifth because you have you have Portland, you have Chicago and Orlando that you just may not be able to catch, frankly. Now, if we look at uh, the Western Conference as well, the Minnesota Timberwolves have been surging. They won three in a row. 
Now, they are 500 in their last 10 games, but they've won three in a row. Uh, they've beaten really good teams uh, over this last stretch, and uh, they're now two games over 500. They're kind of right in that sixth seed and really hoping to, to you know, knock down the door on a firm playoff seed. And uh, that that's a little bit disappointing. Hopefully, hopefully they, they lose a little bit more so that the Jazz can, you know, have a competitive draft pick there. But as long as the Jazz are pushing the envelope with their own pick, uh, you know, we can afford for that Minnesota pick to fall back to, you know, 15, 16, 17. It won't be ideal, but I still believe, say you have the 17th pick from Minnesota and you're willing to package that with the Los Angeles Lakers 2027 uh, protected first round pick, you put those two together, I think you could move up as far as like 12, something like that. I mean, think about it in in uh, past years. The Jazz moved from, I think it was what, 24? They packaged 24 and Trey Lyles to move all the way up to 13. And I think if you send a number 17 pick and that future uh, 2027 pick from the Los Angeles Lakers. I think you get up to like 12. So now you could essentially be picking 7, 8, and 12. Uh, that could put you in real nice position to get something like um, Anthony Black and Grady Dick. Um, Anthony Black and Jet Howard. Or maybe you go uh, Gigi Jackson and Kaysen Wallace. Uh, if you don't know some of those names, I'd encourage you to go check out our uh, draft previews that we've been putting up on our podcast feed, the audio version, but you can also see the video version on our YouTube page where we've brought on Josh Roberts, Leaf Tuline, and this coming Wednesday, we're we're dropping our third installment of the draft previews and we have uh, Mark coming on to talk about his big board and we get into some of these prospects and more. So go check those out and uh, I, I think it'll really kind of paint what's going to be an exciting picture for this upcoming draft where the Jazz have three picks. All right, let's get to some random notes kind of relating to the Utah Jazz. Uh, the first, let's just detail a little bit of All-Star Weekend. I went and took my son to the Rising Stars game, which was a lot of fun. It kind of felt like it was one of the best bang for the buck uh, type events. Got to see some of the young stars, Evan Mobley, Paolo Banquero, uh, and a lot of these guys. Even saw Scoot Henderson. He was on the G League team leading, leading that squad. And it was it was it was a really fun time. Um, it downtown was pretty electric. You know, a lot of people down there. It was really cool. The All Star Game was really abysmal. <laughs> really, really abysmal. I don't know how you how you fix how you fix that, but there's there has to be some sort of incentive to the All Star Game that that players care about. And when you think about what players care about. Um, I think around All-Star Game, they they think about and what's valuable to them is their time, getting to the vacation spots to enjoy their, their week, getting to Cancun, the Bahamas, etc. Right. So I don't know I don't know what there is in that to kind of be leveraged into a more competitive All-Star game, but this year it was really, really on display how how abysmal it was. But overall the weekend was super fun from a jazz fan perspective or just a jazz perspective overall i suppose uh, you had the rising skills challenge where 
you know, the jazz one. Uh, I loved seeing Walker Kessler whip, whipping all those passes. That was crazy fun. Larry Markinen, he, he was competitive in the three-point contest, which was great. Uh, the dunk contest was one of the best dunk contests in recent memory. And so for that to happen in Salt Lake was really, really neat. Um, it was just really, really good for the state to have, you know, all of this, you know, economic revenue coming in and for... Um, so many people to be able to, I don't know, debunk a little bit of some of the, the Salt Lake stereotypes as well, the Utah stereotypes. Utah has had a huge influx of population over the last couple of years as um, as Californians, um, people from Oregon as well, kind of flooding into into Utah. And so I think it's really good to debunk some of the some of the myths and stuff. You know, we're never going to be the glamour dest- destination, and that's fine. We can lean into we can lean into what what is unique and and cool about where we live, which is the mountains, how close in proximity everything is to each other. Um, stuff like that, you know, a wholesome place to be, you know, Mike, Rudy Gay and others have really appreciated, you know, how, uh, Salt Lake is, is really inviting and, and, and pretty inclusive of, uh, families and, and things like that. So, you know, we can lean into that kind of stuff and, and it won't ever make us, you know, the free agent destination where teams will, you know, uh, take big haircuts to come uh, off their paycheck to come to Utah, but you know we can lean into what what makes us cool, and, and that's great. Also, we should be able to have a, another All Star game in fewer than thirty years this time. I think it was such a, a success, and I think the league was pleased overall that uh, I, I think the Jazz could be in play for another one in in fifteen twenty years. I mean, we'll never be the Chicago or the New York or the Los Angeles where you know we'll get you know, uh, two all-stars in 10 years. We'll never be that, but I think within 15, 20 years, we see another one, which would be, which would be really great. Quinn Snyder is now the head coach of the Atlanta Hawks. This one's really, really interesting because he left the jazz, uh, a lot to do with because he lost the voice in the locker room. Um, he also, I, I, th- I think he was just kind of pushed to his wits end type thing. And when you think about it, it's interesting that he's taking this job now because the Hawks are in a real, real disarray with Trey Young and all of his uh, issues with players, front office, and coaching staff. He's really, really a um, a a tough star to kind of you know deal with right now. So that's really interesting that Quinn would kind of prioritize that job. Also, I think if you if you think about it, um, the Jazz technically had the rights to Quinn Snyder. They could have vetoed Quinn Snyder joining the Hawks this year. It's not until next season when Quinn's original contract would have ended that Quinn could have gone to any team uh, of his choosing and the Jazz couldn't say anything about it. But as long as it was this year, the Jazz technically could have stopped it. And they could have insisted on compensation, too. They could have said, hey, we need a second-round pick or something uh, in order for us to let you guys take Quinn Snyder. So I guess the question is, why didn't the Jazz... I guess you could do the the Brian Windhorst meme. Why did the Jazz do that? My theory is that it's going to grease the wheels on a future move. 
It's going to grease the wheels so that when the Jazz need a trade to happen and they need a third team to kind of take on some salary or kind of facilitate the trade, they're going to call up Atlanta and be like, you remember, right? Right? We, we let you guys have Quinn. You know, help us out here. It, it also could be that the Jazz get another crack at John Collins, right? The Jazz were pretty close on a deal with John Collins, and the compensation just wasn't quite there for a deal to, to get done. But it could be that they revisit the negotiations this summer, and perhaps the the big the big thing that they say to the Hawks is that, hey, Hawks, like we'll take him into cap space. Like you guys need some cap relief. You don't want to bring a bunch of players back because you wanna you wanna give that that playing time to some of your other guys. We'll just bring him right into cap space and we'll send you a pick or something. So that that could be that that the Jazz get another bite at the apple with John Collins, and because the the Jazz did the Hawks a solid, that they'll do one back. That that is how a lot of stuff in the NBA works. We just don't hear about it very often. It's a tough situation with Clay. Hopefully, Quinn Snyder uh, does well with it and uh, he enjoys the job. You may remember that he was an assistant with the Hawks under Mike Budenholzer uh, during the Hawks' uh, big run with Joe Johnson, Kyle Korver, Jeff Teague, Al Horford. So he's now back in a familiar situation, which is good for him. Also, Walker Kessler, Rookie of the Month. Uh, for February, really awesome. He's been a top three rookie this year, I think. Uh, guaranteed all-rookie first team. He's definitely been the best center uh, of the class. Jalen Durant, um, I should say, has been really good as well. He's probably been about 80% of Walker Kessler throughout the year. Uh, Jalen Durant will definitely be all-team or all-rookie second-team center. Um, but, yeah, Rock Walker Kessler has been awesome. Now, there has been a lot of discourse about Walker Kessler being rookie of the year that he should be getting real rookie of the year buzz and we we can say that walker has been awesome a great surprise one of the top rookies but we don't have to go as far as saying he's better or on the same level than paulo banquero because it's just not true paulo banquero is an exciting athletic wing who gets any shot he wants he's still not crazy efficient but he's a good passer, a great rebounder, and he's the alpha on an Orlando Magic team. And those are the things that spell MVP in future seasons. Those are the things that get you on all NBA teams. And as awesome as Walker Kessler has been, he hasn't done anything he hasn't done anything that spells out MVP one day. He hasn't spelled out anything that says All-NBA one day. I love Walker Kessler as much as anyone, my favorite player. But I think it does, I think it does him and others a disservice by putting them on a false pedestal. That uh, it's kind of like that meme where you've got the, uh, <laughs> it's kind of like that meme where you've got the uh, Olympian, uh, and you know they're celebrating throwing the champagne and putting up the middle fingers and stuff. And you get the impression that, oh, hey, they were first. And then you get the wider lens and they're like 10th in the standings. And everybody ahead of them is just looking like, what? It's kind of, I kind of feel like it's that. We put them on this false pedestal and, and it's really kind of setting up uh, 
for for failure or misinterpretation in a way. So I think we can I think we can agree that Walker Kessler's had an amazing season. I'm so very excited for his future with the Jazz. Uh, I, I think he could be a really exciting player. But I I, I think we um, I, I think it's good and healthy to really treat his success like it is, like it really is. All right, finally, AT and T Sportsnet is done. They are they are will be distributing the final Jazz games this season, and then they're closing uh, doors on the partnership. And, and this is kind of happening league wide with a lot of other uh, sports distribution networks. Uh, Bally Sports is involved in this, and it's just yet another media development in this long string of developments, I should say, that that point to innovation point to point to offering more um more innovative and non-traditional uh sports coverage so you had the nfl they're going with youtube tv um kind of distancing themselves away from their long-standing nfl sunday ticket partner direct tv uh you also have the um uh, you also have Major League Soccer, the MLS. They're doing the same thing, but with Apple TV. You also have the Los Angeles Clippers, who are doing their direct service to fans uh, instead of partnering with, uh, you know, a traditional cable sports network. So this is just yet another development in this series of big, big things that are happening. You may remember a couple of years ago that I, I wrote articles, even talked on the podcast about how the Jazz. The Jazz should be chasing innovation, and this whole streaming ask, what it's about is it's about getting flexibility and options. What we've all gotten with these streaming partners, with Peacock TV and with Netflix and with Hulu and all this stuff, what it does is it puts you on a month-to-month commitment, right? The month that you aren't interested in the, in the service, you know, you, you stop paying for it, you cancel your membership, and in three months, you put it right back on. It's very hard to do that kind of thing with traditional cable or satellite TV. Um, it also allows you curated content, content specifically designed for the audience. Okay, so that's what people are asking for. Uh, oh, and it also gives you a convenient medium to watch, be it on your phone, tablet, TV, uh, without invasive hardware as well. So that's what people have kind of been asking for in this in this streaming thing. They want sports to be distributed in a way that other entertainment has been doing so for years. Now, what what this kind of shows is that what this kind of shows is that not only is it possible, it's inevitable. And a couple of years ago, when I wrote articles and detailed about it on my podcast, there were a lot of local Utah jazz media that basically told fans, you're crazy to be asking for this. This will never happen. It's, it shouldn't happen. And it's not feasible. And it's really, it, in, in my opinion, it was really disingenuous for uh, for those opinions to kind of be pushed in the face of jazz fans because we, we've seen then and now that that course of action is inevitable. These these kind of longstanding legacy sports distribution networks are falling by the wayside because there is a ine- an inevitable boulder 
you know, coming down the mountainside that is that is that is streaming and that is this more convenient way to consume consume the sports coverage. And I'm sure that Amazon or Hulu or others are really going to be pounding down the NBA's door in in some of the next TV negotiations to get exclusive rights to the NBA to be put on their platform. And you have the Clippers doing their this direct service. Other teams are going to be following suit. And what I like about AT&T Sportsnet being done is that the Jazz don't have a fallback option now. They don't have AT&T Sportsnet where they could re-up for another year or re-up for another five years and say, oh, they're going to innovate with their, uh, with their, with their direct TV, um, with their direct TV uh, mobile option streaming thing. So they don't have that fallback option anymore. And they've really, really leaned on that fallback option the last couple of years. Like we should have had the we should have had a new TV deal this year, but the Jazz said, Oh, we need a little more time. Oh, ATT Sportsnet, they got us. So now they don't have that fallback option. And this is all encouraging some innovation. Okay. Ryan Smith has said, Hey, I am an experienced person. I come from that industry and I understand that the what jazz fans are asking for, and I want it for jazz fans. You know, he recently was on uh, 97.5 The Zone, and he detailed to Hans and Scotty that he cares about this ask. They are really doing their best, and um, he wants everybody in the state and beyond to be able to watch jazz jazz games and, and not be beholden to, uh, you know, the whims of the sports network, AT&T Sportsnet, or the distributors, um, uh, Xfinity uh, or DirecTV or others. And so, you know, he's saying all the right things and it's time to put up because, because frankly, yeah, yeah, it's hard, but it's inevitable. And, and you can't, you can't be the innovative young tech dude and, and, have that as your calling card and mantra, but say, oh yeah, we, we really can't innovate here. We can't be the leaders here. We have to be the laggers. Once everybody in the NBA is doing it, fine, we'll jump on. You can't, you can't do both those things. And so uh, I think it's great news and, and hopefully the jazz come with something really competitive and innovative because there's, there's a lot of potential out there. And I think you saw it with what the Clippers are doing and the NFL and major league soccer are really going to be doing some, some cool things with their uh, distribution platform. So all that to say, jazz fans, you were right. in what you were asking for all along, it wasn't crazy, despite the local media trying to tell you you were, and I, I believe you've been vindicated. So uh, put that in your back pocket and, uh, and feel good about that. All right, thank you so much for listening to the Jabber Jazz podcast. We really appreciate it. If you like what we're doing, we'd really appreciate some additional support. And that can come in the form of subscribing to the podcast here in your podcatcher, uh, subscribing to our YouTube channel, Jabber Jazz as well, where we put out uh, special editions of the podcast where you can see myself, uh, our guest, and kind of go through the topics with us. Please give us a follow on Twitter at Jabber underscore Jazz. Thank you so much. And as is customary here, we're going to leave you with some sounds of jazz. Jabber Jazz.